Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Tuesday, September 12th. For TV buffs, today marks the anniversaries of several popular shows. Bonanza premiered on this date in 1959. The Monkees premiered on this date in 1966, and Taxi's debut came on this date in 1978. And here's your morning trivia question. On this date in 2013, a spacecraft that was launched 36 years earlier became the first man-made spacecraft to leave our solar system. Can you name it? I'll have that answer in just a couple of minutes. But first, let's check in with the Live 5 First Alert Weather Center for your Tuesday forecast. And good Tuesday morning. I'm meteorologist Joey Sovi. Mostly sunny out the door this morning. We should be dry through lunchtime, but a couple of hit or miss showers and storms possible this afternoon. We start out in the 70s. We wind up near 90 degrees this afternoon, but changes are ahead due to a cold front that will increase the rain chance tomorrow, but then decrease the rain chance for the rest of the week. Thursday into Friday, the story behind the front will be the drop in humidity that will lead to not only more comfortable afternoons without the humidity being high, but also cooler mornings in the low to mid 60s, Friday morning, Saturday morning as well. High temperatures in the low to mid 80s for the weekend. There may be a slight chance of rain late in the day on Sunday. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast powered by the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. A fiery and contentious school board meeting last night has members of the public still scratching their head this morning, wondering exactly what happened. A meeting to discuss the contract of Charleston County School Board Superintendent Dr. Eric Gallion, a contract that was just recently signed. Nick Reagan is following the latest. So, Nick, members of the public and about half of those board members are crying foul and demanding more transparency. Yeah, Katie Shelby, what we know is almost nothing, on the record at least, about that special call meeting yesterday. What we do know is that it was called on Friday, and the only thing that was on the agenda was a discussion about the superintendent, Dr. Eric Gallion's contract, and a personnel matter. Now, the board, they chose to discuss both behind closed doors and away from the eyes and ears of the public. There was public discussion before the board members went into executive session, in which the board chair, Pam McKinney, told us that it would be just the trustees in that meeting and the one staff member who helped draw up Galleon's contract. McKinney also said that the two agenda items, contract and the personnel matter, they're related to each other. Now, normally, a member of members, a number of staff members, rather, of, of CCSD would attend the executive session meetings with those board members. Usually, the superintendent and other high-level cabinet members are involved, especially when there is a personnel matter. Now, not in this case. McKinney said that uh, they would be calling Galleon into the private meeting a little bit after they first discussed the issue with the board members first. Now, what those issues are, they're a mystery to the public and to some of the members on the board. In fact, four board members are accusing the other five of colluding and saying that they were given no prior information about the subject of the meeting. If we're adopting an agenda, some of us are voting and we have no clue what it is that we're walking into. Because to our knowledge, the superintendent's contract is just signed five minutes ago, so we don't really have anything to talk to discuss. Now, this was yet another tense, packed house meeting with board members attacking each other. Now, after the 90 minutes of private discussions, the meeting ended without any action being taken. Katie, shall be back to you guys. 
Yeah, a lot of questions that need some answers. Thank you, Nick. And Live Five Skylar Hill was there and spoke with those who attended that school board meeting. He shares the crowd's reaction and whether they feel their questions were answered. From talking with members of the community, the consensus is what really just happened. People left here with more questions than they did answers. Almost every seat in the room was filled and the tensions were felt from the time the meeting started to when it finally finished. No time during the special meeting did the public get a chance to comment, nor did they get much of an explanation of what really happened behind closed doors. Tempers were high and the tensions were flaring. The ending left those in attendance in awe as they left with more questions than they came in with, and the outrage from the crowd was more than evident. We know what the agenda was. They wanted to fire the superintendent, right? But they could at least come out here and tell us if they, if they passed it. I mean, this is ridiculous. The man hasn't been here for 70 days. He didn't give a man a chance to do his job. You know, you're going to fire a superintendent in the middle of the school year? In the middle of the school year. That's how you fail a system. It's ridiculous. The outrage is this. You saw the report. The record increase in achievements by students in this district across all racial lines, particularly black and brown students. So why would you now want to change the effort, get rid of the superintendent, and what it's really all about. And what I think it is just flat out of racism. Now you heard some harsh accusations from people there at the end, but we did reach out to board members to see if they had anything to say or comment, but they haven't responded back yet. We'll continue to update the story through Live 5 News. Reporting in the newsroom, Schuyler Hill. We now know the names of the final five candidates who w could lead the city of Charleston as chief of police. Those five will meet with Mayor John Tecklenburg and city council members during a special meeting next week. Those finalists are Robert Beige, the police chief in Fort Walton, Florida, Shanta Boston, the assistant chief with the Sun Prairie Police Department in Wisconsin, Jason Bruder, the Charleston Police Department's commander of the community-oriented policing division. He served with the department for 21 years. Cheeto Walker, the Charleston Police Department's current interim chief of police, who's served his entire 23-year career with CPD. And finally, Jack Weiss, who's currently a deputy chief of police with the Charleston Police Department. He's spent his entire 25-year career with CPD. The announcement comes four months after police chief Luther Reynolds passed away after a fought battle with cancer at the age of 55. Following an informal breakfast session with the finalists next Monday, City Council will enter executive session to meet with each of the candidates individually. City officials have not said when the new chief will be named. Today, a ribbon cutting is set to take place for a new emergency building coming to James Island. While it doesn't officially open until tomorrow, officials say it'll bring critical medical services closer to James Island residents. Our Madeline Jess Koyak is live on James Island at the site of that new building. So Madeline, what does this new facility look like inside? Well, it's brand spanking new, I'll tell you that, and it smells Fresh, fresh paint, everything. Um, but yeah, I am here at that brand new James Island emergency facility with a first live look before it's open to the public. And, you know, residents and visitors to James Island and the surrounding communities will now have easier access to emergency care. This is a freestanding emergency room, and it's it costs $13 million to build. It has 11 beds, and it's nearly 13,000 square feet. Now, I'm here with Teresa Owen. She's the nurse manager for uh, the facility. And, you know, Teresa, tell me a little bit about, are you excited about this? You know, what, what's going on? We are very excited to open to the community to give everybody a little bit easier access to get that emergency care. Um, we're excited to serve the population of James Island and the surrounding island areas. Um, 
and we're, we're just happy to have this for everyone. Yeah, so is this kind of the first freestanding emergency facility in this area? It is for James and John's Island. Um, you know, in past, those people who were seeking emergency care would have to either cross the bridge to go all the way in downtown or even further. Um, so this will run as a fully functioning ER to serve any emergency that we need. Thank you, Teresa. Well, uh, you know, officials with Trident Health say James Island emergency will include 11 patient rooms. Uh, they also have trauma bays, in-house diagnostic labs, uh, advanced imaging and stroke and behavioral health telemed telemedicine services. So they are a pretty full service facility here um, in terms of emergency services uh, for people in this island community. Reporting live in Charleston, Madeline Jaskowiak, Live 5 News. The people who live in a downtown Charleston neighborhood have met with the state representative to discuss their living conditions. Representative Wendell Gilliard says he's called for yesterday's urgent community meeting after he saw our coverage of the living conditions in the Gadsden Green neighborhood. He says something needs to be done about the poor conditions and tells us it's the responsibility of local government to provide residents with a proper quality of life. Fellow Representative Dion Tedder issued a statement in response to the Gadsden Green living conditions, saying he's deeply concerned about the reports of unsafe and unacceptable living conditions at Gadsden Green homes, adding that he has reached out to the Charleston Housing Authority to work on finding a solution to these issues. Charleston Housing Authority's COO was at that meeting, but the organization says it does not have a comment at this time. A South Carolina judge heard from a pair of environmental organizations asking to prevent the State Department of Health and Environmental Control from issuing some septic permits. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of Charleston Waterkeeper and the Coastal Conservation League against DHEC last November. But last Friday was the first time a judge heard arguments from both sides. It addresses multiple septic tank issues, including a request that DHEC review all septic tank applications in the coastal zone. The lawsuit comes after high levels of bacteria were found in Charleston waterways and aims to stop irreparable harm from septic system permits in large Developments. The judge who heard the case on Friday says she will issue a ruling as soon as possible. North Charleston officials say the that an important project is still on track to be finished come November. With the Park Circle construction project, the city hopes to create a space for the entire community to enjoy and says that great headway is being made ahead of community use. Once it opens, residents will be able to enjoy an all-inclusive baseball field, 55-square-foot playground, new community center, and theater. And the Lowcountry Food Bank are working together to fight child hunger in Charleston. The program started yesterday and will continue on weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. at select library branches. Meals and snacks will be available free to kids ages 5 to 18, and availability will vary by location. To find the branch closest to you, look for this story on lifeifenews.com. The program is set to run through May 7th of next year. Starting this Saturday, a new food pantry will be available twice a month on Ladies Island in Beaufort County. The nonprofit Second Helpings will deliver food to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Beaufort on the first and third Saturday of each month. They'll also have sign-ups for groceries at 11 a.m., Pantry items will vary each week, but fresh fruits, meat, bread, and other items are expected to be available. 
Organizers say there's no application or ID required to take advantage of this opportunity. The Charleston County Rescue Squad is constantly honing their skills to save lives. Tonight they're continuing to do so with their first training this month, which includes training with the latest technology that helps their rescue efforts. Our Destiny Kennedy joins us live in North Charleston now at the Charleston County Rescue Squad headquarters, and she's got more details on tonight's training session. Good morning. Good morning, Shelby and Katie. This training session is not only for their existing members, but also for new recruits. The volunteer-based organization is always ready to respond to life-threatening emergencies. Their fleet includes a variety of rescue vehicles, ranging from light to heavy, an array of boats and specialized equipment. This comprehensive training series will enhance their expertise and become certified in various rescue specialties, including how to operate a special set of tools that are now powered by battery and not gas, allowing them to bring their tools to patients and faster extraction times. All of the tools operate using the same type of battery as well. The criteria for those interested in volunteering are you must be 18 years or, or older, no criminal record, and a clean driving record. No certification or experience required. Deputy Chief of Operation at Charleston County Rescue Squad, Brett Sims, tells us their organization's motto and the benefits of being a part of the organization. Your life is worth our time. Our individuals that work for us, both men and women, take great pride in knowing that they do what they do and they also do it for free without a paycheck. You get to see some people on the worst days of their life, but you also get to see some people on the best days of your life. So you're able to have an impact within your community and you're able to do it on your schedule. The training session starts tonight from 7 to 8.30 p.m. here at the Charleston County Rescue Squad. And the next training session, if you can't make it, is September the 26th. Reporting live in North Charleston, Destiny Kennedy, Live 5 News. Thank you, Destiny. One domestic violence survivor is pushing for her fellow survivors to hold their abusers accountable. Under state law, domestic violence applies to a current or former spouse, someone who you have children with, or someone you live with. Renea Jones from North Charleston says three of her family members have lost their lives to domestic violence. For the last five years, she says it's hit a little too close to her home in her own relationship. She wants other women to know their protections after their abuser was charged with assault and battery of a high and aggravated nature because they did not live together and were not married. So my goal is also to empower other women um, that who may not be able to or not have the strength um, to get out of situations like this and, you know, trying to guide them, give them the footprints um, on how to exit. The South Carolina Victim Assistance Network says victims are able to ask for a no-contact order or domestic violence order of protection against their abusers. The group encourages victims to find resources like support groups and to reach out to hotlines for more immediate help. The University of South Carolina is honoring 60 years of desegregation with a monument to honor the three black students who enrolled six decades ago. The university hosted a conversation with Henri Monteith Treadwell, Robert G. Anderson, and James L. Solomon Jr., the first black students to register with USC back on September 11th of 1963. The three alumni were able to enroll in the university nine years after the historic Brown v. Board of Education ruling, which opened the doors for many black students around the U.S. to have the same opportunity. Tonight is an affirmation of the correctness of the work that was done 60 years ago. People were anxious to be a part of this institution. 
and they still are. Yesterday, the university held a groundbreaking ceremony for the monument. Officials also unveiled a sign at the Welcome Center at in McKissick Museum. There's also a plaque honoring James Solomon Jr., the first black student to enroll in USC's graduate program for mathematics since Reconstruction. At the beginning of the podcast, I told you the first man-made spacecraft left our solar system on this date 10 years ago. That spacecraft, which had been launched 36 years earlier, was called Voyager 1, and what a voyage it must have had. Celebrating birthdays today, actress Linda Gray, who played Sue Ellen Ewing on Dallas, turns 83. Singer Ben Folds is 57. Singer Ruben Sutter is 45. And singer-actress Jennifer Hudson is 42. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Morning Y'all, powered by Live 5 News. I'm Katie Kamen. Hope you have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Morning Y'all is produced every weekday morning. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.